Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. If you're unfamiliar with us, Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused marketing agencies and related marketing service companies. Today, we would like to give you free access to our latest webinar slash live training, and that's titled, How to Sell Agency Services in Uncertain Times. This webinar is going to show you how to prospect and generate meetings with your audience at scale effectively in a sort of a weird economic climate without hurting your brand. So to get tangible, some things that we did, we co- we basically did a live workshop on agency to brand prospecting with around 70 agency owners. We covered the multi-channel nurture process we have been using and that we're planning on using in the coming months for ourselves and our clients. And we covered thought leadership actions for plugging your agency into the right audiences and generating inbound opportunities at scale. So if you'd like to get access to the free webinar, you can go to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting, one word. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Today on the show, we have Peter Cimarini. Peter is the host of the Blood Time podcast, which is a show that basically, according to its description, speaks to the bond and emotion between coach and athlete at the interscholastic and intercollegiate level. So this was a really fun episode. We basically talked about the role of of a coach-like relationship in developing leaders and you know, basically getting the best out of a team. Getting a little bit more into Peter's background, uh, he's been a wrestling coach for for years, for his entire career. In addition to that, Peter is a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he is the man behind Razor Marketing uh, and another a number of other ventures. Uh, so I think there's, there's lots of interesting parallels that, that Peter was able to draw between the wrestling room and between everything that goes on in leading athletes uh, and everything that has to go on in, in building and running a, a successful business. So without further ado, Please give it up for Peter Simarini. Peter, thanks for joining. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to come out guns blazing with a with a hard right. question. <laughs> so I, I guess the, my my main question to start with is is you you know you've coached wrestling for for a long time, right? And I'd love to know like what what have you learned from coaching wrestling that surprised you about the human condition? Uh, as far as you think you can push yourself, you can go that much farther. Hmm. Hmm. And um, I experienced that personally, and I've seen it over and over and over again, told to me as well, over and over and over again. And then when they, when those young men, um, and once in a while, we get that rare young woman uh, come into our room, what they can do in a, in a situation in the real world typically you know, set, separates them and sets them apart from those that can work. Um, they just cannot work people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's the, the adage that you always hear about, about the three periods in wrestling, you know, better than I do. The first period's about. Ga- is, is guy about well. uh, the other guy is, uh, it may be the best technique. And then the last guy's the best heart. Right. Do you believe that? Or do you think there's, there's more at work there? Yeah, there's no question. I, I coach my guys never to be beat in overtime. Uh, if you if you wrestle one of our guys in OT, we're taking it to you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we don't want to lose in the third period for sure. So we just you know we just trained out work and I co- <coughs> excuse me. I come from a program 
at Beechwood High School and uh, later on at John Carroll University, <coughs> excuse me, where um, it's very proven to that fact because what you have is you want to coach for the end of the year because that's when you make the state tournament or the national tournaments. And Beechwood High School has got an 81% placement for all the guys that make the state tournament in their history. So only 20, only 19% of the guys don't place. So they all, so, so a vast majority of them peak at the right time. And that's all about conditioning. That's all about, you know, using the great process, if you will. So that's really where, where that, that runs. Right. And I think that's, that's definitely strong data to the idea that this stuff can be taught and can be acquired as opposed to just being born with, with certain skills. Um, no question. And yeah. let me, let me just finish that point. Please. There's been many times where guys, you know, we've made the state finals, uh, rarely, rarely uh, a guy wins the state title with this mentality, but it's like, how did we get here? And how we got there was by heart and brains. And when you get those two com- combined, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so much to dig into there. I guess my first question is, tangibly, what does that look like? You know, when you're getting to this idea of heart and somebody pulling out more than they thought they could, what, what, what's building up to that? What are the sort of exercises that you're going through throughout an entire year to get to somebody to that point? You know, you just got to connect with them initially on a, on a very human level. And the very first thing that I say when I walk into a room or I walk into a boardroom that's of my company is you're my family or you're my son's. So in the wrestling room, they're my sons. And I take this very seriously because the actual term is uh, locus parentis, parentis locus, which is the Latin term for local parent. And so I take that very seriously. But also, too, it's the same thing. You're held accountable. And so when they know that, they, that I have their back in business or in sport, there is a, usually... Not not always not always the case. There's a rare breed that sometimes you just can't connect with for whatever reason. But that symbiosis carries out onto the mat and into the real world. And that's the most important foundational piece, knowing that they have that you have their back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more in terms of, cause, cause you know, I think we, we all encounter um, a lot of different coaches and, and people that are kind of taking, you know, experiences from previous lives, be it in the military or in sports or whatever to bring into right. the boardroom. And I think what's tough is figuring out how to apply those lessons, where they apply and where they don't. Um, cause I think a lot of the times it feels very much like, okay, in a startup situation where you have people that are heavily emotionally invested, spiritually invested in a company, you could see parallels, but then you get to this sort of day two thing. There's people that just have a job. They might like their job. They might like like going in there, seeing their their colleagues and friends or whatever, and then they go home. So I, I think a lot of the times that the connection between pouring yourself out in a wrestling room and being in a situation like this day two thing gets kind of lost on people. So I'd love to hear what, what parallels you've drawn, you know, through, these two different environments. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to translate that. There's no question about it. You can't really underplay it. So you have to be creative and you have to know your audience, but you also want to hire diverse, diverse groups of people because you want, you're going to have diverse responsibilities in a a company. 
So the last thing I want to hire on a CFO is somebody that could be a great CEO initially. They have to be a great CFO initially. And you have to talk to them in that, in that respect. And I think the ultimate thing is to hire adults, hire great people and let them do their job. And so, you know, you have to understand who your audience is, how to relate to them, how to manage them, how to motivate them and how to listen to them. You know, I believe in the platinum rule, not do unto others as the golden rule says, but do unto others as they wish to be done unto. So yeah. if money motivates me, and yet time with your family motivates you, Dan, or a combination of those motivate you, I better listen to Dan Englander. What motivates you? What inspires you to be your best self? That's what a true leader does. And so there's how you build that camaraderie when really active listening. Yeah, yeah, that's really key. And I think right now it's such an interesting time because – People are detached. There's, there's not really this idea. I, I think it's my hunch is it's going to become harder to coast because yeah. your work's going to have to speak for itself. There's that, there's going to be less of this kabuki dance of the illusion of getting work done. Although there's ways to do that over Slack and zoom or whatever. Sure. Uh, so I, I guess first off, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that and kind of, you know, where, where how you see autonomy changing, I guess. <laughs> Well, you know, case in point, we're a best practices company. So taking that mentality, wrestling, excellence, reaching, kind, striving all that time, taking it into the business world. And so, Dan, what I'm realizing now is that, you know, we have a best practice, a lead dog best practice, where we show companies how to monetize their accounts payable solutions or their accounts payable uh, divisions. And if you're a true on top of things, CFO or treasurer or head of procurement, you better be watching this solution. Whereas before, you could kind of coast and put that in the lower. People need cash flow. They need found capital. And this solution provides that. So you're going to see more solutions that people must pay attention to to keep their job. So the proficiency level has to go up. This is showing people you got to pay attention and you got to be proficient. And you got to be effective because the technology is out there. No question about it. And typically what leads us out of something like this tech, it led us out of 2009. It led us out of 2000. It's going to lead us out of 2020. Yeah. And I, I've been listening to, you know, people a lot smarter than myself, like uh, Scott Galloway has a, has a great podcast and, and he was making the observation that going into an office is going to, the paradigm is going to shift and it's going to be almost like a status symbol to be able to work for a company where you can go into an office because the big tech giants, you know, the Googles and the Twitters of the world are going to figure this out sooner and be able to test people at the door or whatever um, and so on. So I think that that's, that's going to become a thing. Um, but I, I guess, you know, what I'd love to no, dig I can, into. I can yeah, speak to please. that. Because yeah, yeah. I remember coming out of graduate school. This is in the Stone Age, 1983. Mm -hmm. And I got my first job selling airtime for a pretty high-flying radio station here in town. It was a very tough, tough market, you know, getting a job, especially for a master's with history. <laughs> so having said that, I, th I thought to myself, what do I need an office for? 
I'm on the road. That's where I'm making my money is meeting with clients. So I would have to be in the office, in my estimation, once a week, maybe. It just seemed like wasted overhead. Okay. As long as you're a professional, as long as you're a fully formed adult. And so that was 1983. And then once cell phones happened in the mid 80s and everybody, you know, had mobile phones by the late 80s, early 90s, or at least pagers. I was like, what, what do we need an office for? And here we now, here we are 30 years later saying, man, maybe <laughs> what do we need an office for? You know? So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to skew towards rose colored glasses with it. Cause we've, we've been remote since day one and you know, the yeah. people we tend to attract and hire and myself, we were all very much into autonomy and creating systems and the idea of you might work hard for two hours and then you get a chance to take a half hour nap, power nap and whatever you get to, you get to avoid a commute. Uh, so to us, we're just like, you know, why, this is amazing. Why doesn't everybody else get into this? But then I remember that, you know, a lot of people really do like going into an office and having that sense of commuter, sure. that sort of structure. And I, I get that too. So the the thing that excites me about it is I, I think it doesn't have to just be one way or the other. I think there might be ways to kind of innovate on the model. Like it could mean that, you know, you go, you, you meet up with your team a monthly or biweekly, or maybe if you need to be out of your home, you know, you're driving five minutes to a co-working space or something like that and telecommuting in or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but to, to bring this to a question, I guess, how how are you thinking about, you know, the, the way remote work is going to evolve at your company. How are you guys kind of treating that? Well, you know, it's interesting what you're saying because I think we've moved, morphed into, a, well, we've evolved into a creative society. That's real. Creativity is going to be our, our currency moving forward. We went from agrarian to industrial, you know, to information, to knowledge. Now we're in creative. And so we're going to see creative solutions, Dan, where it's going to be all different types of iterations of how we're going to work. And it's going to be based on the leadership as to how they can affect and be effective with their people, with their capital, with their human capital, for lack of a better term. Because we still have to have high tech, high touch as well as high tech and emerging of both. You know, if frankly, if you have an older workforce, you may want to have more people coming in together. You know, I mean, why do we still have post office? Why do we still have bank you know, uh, facilities and bank branches where you go into. Why do you still have checkout people at the grocery store? We can do all that automated, right? But you still want that community, that touch, that interaction of humanity. It's And that's what everybody's missing right now. I mean, <clears throat> I just got to see my daughter who graduated from Ohio State University for the first time in almost four months yesterday. And we decided to hug, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we made a, we made a conscious effort. We said, yeah, we're feel comfortable with hugging <clears throat> and I got a cough today, but no, it, it's yeah. <laughs> a little tickle. But having said that, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's an interesting dynamic that's occurring, but you're still going to move forward. You're going to have all types of iterations of how we're going to work together. And it's going to be based on listening and listening and how people can be best affected. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's really key, and uh, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, because we've gone we've gone through these phases of so, of some sort of commodity being in charge of, of the economy, and I think we're probably coming out of that this knowledge economy phase, right? Where you know, what, when you talk to people that have a lot of domain expertise in their little area of of the knowledge economy, they all 
they all tend to think it's overvalued. Like in our little space of B2B sales and B2B data here at Sales yeah. Schema, where we're like, the data is not valuable. You know, <laughs> the, 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 what's valuable is somebody that can do something with it. Yeah, it's how you manipulate the data. Right, right, exactly. And it's always, I think you're right. It's always been about this, this sort of creative energy. Um, I, I, and I, I kind of worry right now about going into uh, areas of conversation that are, that are, very lofty and at the ceiling of, of my capacity. But I, I guess I'm wondering, like, you know, you, you're in the, the area of automating AP and, sure. and there's other people automating these other areas. And I just wonder, like, what, what are you, how do you feel about worker irrelevance? You know, the fact that once a worker becomes irrelevant, you're not going to make them relevant again. I mean, what do these people do? You know, what's, what's the home for somebody? You know? Well, you know, I think we got to give ourselves credit, you know, and not sell ourselves short. You know, I interviewed a um, woman who was the first on my podcast. Here's, a, here's an example. I'm making money on a podcast that I just created that took 30 years in the making, basically, because of coaching, but it's called Blood Time. And it's yeah. about inspirational stories about how someone's transformed by a coach when they're an athlete and what they do with it in the world. And the last interview that just aired was Dr. Jen Welter, who was the first female NFL coach. And she said, don't sell the men short about having a, a female coach them. Because guess what? They've been coached by females since they came out of the womb. About incredibly information, you know, uh, you know, transformative pieces in their life or, or times in their lives, such as who's their first girlfriend, who's, you know, whatever that is, right? And so he, she's saying, don't sell those men short. And I'm saying the same thing. Don't sell us short. Don't sell people short. They'll create their own income. They'll figure it out. We've always had to figure it out. I mean, you don't think that the guy that went on the, the Colorado Trail, okay, in what, 1860, didn't figure out how to get to the next mile. They figured it out. You know, so we're going to figure this out. And the beauty is, is that, you know, we've got that, you know, whether, whether people like it or not, the manifest destiny that's American, rugged individualism, but what's the core of that is creativity. And I think that's really, again, our currency. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that makes sense. I, I guess what I worry about is the, the time horizon of it, right? Like how long it's going to take for people to figure it out and what's going to have to happen in our lifetimes for, for that to, to, to go on. But it, it, at the end of the day, at the end of the road, I definitely agree with you. So I think that's, well, that, you know, that makes any, sense. In any transformation, Dan, mm -hmm. there's going to be, some casualties and you know that. So there's sure. going to be some people that are going to, you know, suffer. Right. And it's, it's, that's the human condition. There's no way to get around that. No matter how, you know, it's, it's just part of life. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is, is definitely something I agree with. Um, and to, to bring this to coaching a little bit, because, you know, I've had a lot of coaches professionally and some of them have been really useful, really helpful. Um, and I noticed that online, uh, there's people selling coaching in different ways. And I, I've talked about this with, with colleagues and friends of mine a lot. And there's sort of two different models of coaching. There's the one that I think you're doing, which is, which is great. And it's, it's sort of the more, you know, spiritual aid wrestling coach. We're going to get through this together where I'm going to help you work through these problems. I'm not going to make your problems easier. I'm not going to make them go away. You know, it's, it's all hard for a reason, which I really agree with. And there's the other side of coaching, which is the, I have the silver bullet. I have the magic seeds. 
you pay me a lot of money and I'm going to give them to you. <laughs> so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. If you, if you're seeing that dynamic or maybe there's even more roads or even more categories to put these coaches in. Uh, yeah, I think you have that. Yeah. I think you have, you know, if you want to take two diametrically opposed positions, I think that's true. But I like the, the term when iron goes through fire, steel is made. Mm-hmm. Embrace the fire. So I like that. You know, I like that it's tried it, you know, you're you're tested and when you come out the other opposite side, you can figure that out. And you've got, you know, maybe a scar or two to prove it, but a bloody nose, but man, you're strong. And I think strength and an open mind and open heart are really where this is all going to go to if you're going to be successful. And if anybody's telling you that they have a magic bullet and they're not giving it to you and working with you and succeeding together, I get a little bit of a jaundice view on that. Yeah. Yeah. With the magic bullet coaches, there's sort of no skin in the game because it's always like, well, if you succeed, it's because of me and I want a good testimonial from you. And if you fail, it's because you didn't apply my template in the perfect way, you know, right. <laughs> based on, on what they've, they've promised. So it's yeah, kind of and there, is no, there, there is no perfection, right? There is no perfection. Yet. Right. So there's that caveat that's that easy out. You know, I like to tell the guys why I'm asking them to do what they're doing. And to my ability, I will physically do it with them. So, you know, we did we the three the three things that we did on a on a graduating scale was push-ups, sit-ups, and what we used to call buckeyes. There, there's kind of a really tough squat thrust, for lack of a better term, or burpee, whatever term you want to use. But we started at <clears throat> we started at 30 and we ended up at 98 at the end of the season. A piece. And I did every one of them. Now I can't wrestle with them, you know, because I got to teach and I got to coach, but I like to be part of that with them to know that the leader is going to do it or has done it. And it's not asking them to do anything that they're not have done or willing to do again to the best of their ability. And that's really where I think people kind of get a disconnect. Right. And also to place yourself in, in a sort of competitive hierarchy, I think takes takes a lot of a lot of courage as a coach, right? Like in, in jujitsu, our my main coach, Vinny, is is putting himself in there every day and he's mostly killing everyone, you know. <laughs> so yeah. he's definitely at the top of the hierarchy, but he's putting himself on the line and you know is able is able to do well, that. Well at sixty two I have to be a little bit more judicious. <laughs> sure. Sure. Especially <laughs> with wrestling. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that yeah, that makes sense. Um and it, what I was going to get to next is, um, you know, I, I guess the, the main thing that I think a lot of people are up against now isn't so much like combat, you know, even in business, I mean, it, it, like things falling apart, although that is happening a lot. I think it's a lot of boredom, you know, anxiety, not knowing what's going to happen next, sitting there trying to stay sane while you're balancing family or have an urge to check Instagram or whatever it might be. Right. So, I, I want to bring this to a question, but I, I guess what if what what what's working for the people in your life for the successful wrestlers, uh, you know, other successful people? How are they coping through all of this? Well, you know, they're doing um, the foundational pieces: uh, good diet, rest, great hydration, 
lifting, running, wrestling drills. I liken that also to uh, to, to to business. Do your push-ups and sit-ups and uh, your you know and your squat thrusts as well, whatever that may be. <clears throat> Blog, read, research, figure out better ways. Once you know now we're starting to open up, better techniques, better technology. So if I'm the CEO of a hundred million dollar company, I'm looking at every line item during this time off or pause, whatever you want to call it. How do I do better in my insurance companies? How do I do better in my enterprise? How do I how do I do better in my procurement? How do I do better in logistics? How do I do better in customer relations, employee relations? What you know, all those dynamics, how do I do better? And where am I doing great? Where am I not doing great? Triage myself and then bring in those best practices and say, this is how we get through this, but more importantly, how we get to excellence. Unless you want to be a mediocre company, which, you know, there are people out there that kind of like that. <laughs> I'm just not that way. Right. Right. Th- th- that makes sense. And I think this we're seeing that with our clients a lot. A lot of them are, are taking this opportunity to kind of diagnose what's working and, and what's not. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at a little bit, though, is maybe maybe to bring this to wrestling, ha- ha- have you ever had an impetus to kind of inject chaos into the process just to break out of the break out of monotony, you know, oh. so maybe you, and maybe I'm wondering if the similar mental model could be applied in business or should be right now sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, the most successful NCAA team right now in existence is Penn state. And they have a blast in our sport, which is, which is, you know, it's common. It's, so it's a very difficult sport. And prior to them, the model was this intense training, this you know, animalistic go, 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 pressure, 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 pressure. And you could see that the Penn State team led by Kale Sanderson is just having a blast wrestling. And they've won the last seven, I think, out of eight national titles. And so what we have seen in the sport is they'll take it, we'll take a day. Sometimes we'll just play, you know, dodgeball or spike ball or, you know, knee football, or, you know, just have a day off, just have a blast. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle of this intense training, give them a day off and just say, chill, man. And so that's something that we need to recognize as well in business is that know your, you know, know your people, know your audience, enjoy this. What are we doing? This is not a dress rehearsal. This is all we got. So far we know. (laughs) So if we're coming to the office, or we're working at home, or we're just enjoy it, be in the moment and enjoy it. You know, I've got this beautiful uh, girlfriend, and she says, "Live, live in the moment. You know, get off your phone sometimes and just interact." So that's, I think, some really good advice. Uh, and we're seeing it at the highest levels of my sport. And I do believe that you know, while there is that old mentality of, you know, you're going to get ground ground into the ground, if you will, and you're going to work this guy to death and work this woman to death and get the most out of him. I just think that's a bad and old model. I think that joy is better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think the the thing that's kind of a rough wake-up call for a lot of people that are, 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 are going to be more held responsible for the creativity and harnessing that and for actual results. So that's that's the 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 harder, the rub, basically. But I think the upside is 
if we are going to this remote model, you get more control over your hours, you get more autonomy and you get to, you get to, to rest for an hour and then recharge. And it becomes more like, uh, it becomes more like this, the training schedule of an athlete as opposed to just this arbitrary work nine to five sort of thing, which we, we both know is, is BS. Like people aren't it's, working nine to five. You're, it's all military based. It's all agrarian based. It's an outdated model. And, you know, I read a book years ago when I was a kid by, about Charles Repson, the creator of Revlon. Hmm. He used to take a 15 to 25 minute power nap at around 2.30 in the afternoon and mm-hmm. just kill it right after that. Just have these great ideas. You know, that was his thing, right? Yeah. It was, you know, so he was very effective that way, but he was the CEO of the company. <clears throat> what was always fascinating to me as a young man is why didn't he do that with his own people? Talk to them to see how best they can be effective. And so the old model was if I give them that autonomy, they're going to take a mile, right? Give them an inch, you take a mile. Yeah. I think we have much more mindful people today, much more in tune people with their own physicality and their own psychology. And so here's the discussion we're having, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, we have this industrial age working model that never really made the leap. We never really innovated on it too much, you know. Uh, and we're dealing with knowledge work now. Uh, it's, it's, it takes rest and some relaxation in, uh, in order to, to harness creativity. Um, and, you know, another book, too, is uh, I think it was Thinking Rovish. Maybe not. Maybe it was uh, Dale Carnegie's book, mm-hmm. How to Rich Win Friends. Yeah. Exactly. People, yep. He said that in his research that you become most successful as a man in your 60s. Hmm. Well, I can tell you, my 60s have been fantastic. They've been fantastic. Yeah. Just watch Jerry Seinfeld. He says, I love my 60s. He just did a thing, 23 hours to kill on Netflix. <laughs> and he yeah. said, I love my 60s. Just because I say no to everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? But no, seriously, <clears throat> I am creating more, <clears throat> getting more out there and finding more great techniques and great people like yourself to interact with in my 60s than I've ever had. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. I have that to look forward to, hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll a long way, my man. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Not, not, not super long. That makes sense. And I just a non sequitur, but another another book that I thought of, you know, from what you're saying is a uh, shoe dog, the the Phil Knight autobiography yes. um, from from Nike. And what what's fascinating about that is that in the early days of Nike, he basically this was before the internet or before anything, and he just hired. A, like his friend and salesperson across the other side of the earth and they would correspond over letter. And this guy would just be left unattended with thousands of dollars of, of inventory that they'd gone into massive debt to acquire. And wow. he would just say, you know, I trust this guy um, and he's, he's going to deliver or he won't. And ultimately they, they went through, you know, every, every fire, every you know bit of pandemonium you can imagine, but sure. it became Nike ultimately. So this was before you even had anything like zoom. So that's why, uh, I, I, I'm always like, you know, I, I, I saw this special with one of these kind of like uh, time tracking softwares where, you know, they're monitoring what people are doing on their screens. And I get that. We've used that stuff before. I'm not saying it's evil, but it's sort of like you're never going to be able to control what your people do. <laughs> and no. it's sort of this illusion of control and exactly. something that needs to go away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's, that's, that's the illusion. I read a lot of Seth Godin. I love, I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he talks about what you're talking about. Of course, a number of other things he talks about. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, 
one of his big things is, is, is that, you know, hire great people and let them do their job. You know, a number of other things he also talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a simple and hard problem, I guess, because you gotta you gotta find those people first and support them and everything. So exactly right. Yeah, that's what makes. So I, I guess you know, getting to, to the end of our time here, um, sure. I'd love to to learn about, you know, what are you seeing in your world on a day to day level that you think people should be paying more attention to, or what do you what do you see coming up? Yeah, I think that um, you know, if they're if you're not paying attention to the tech, you know, the solutions that are out there you're going to let be left behind and it's not you know it's not arithmetic it's exponential right so moore's law is now down to what 12 months i think so technology i mean we're finding you know at the quantum level ways of maybe manipulating you know data transfer think about that right so, yeah. so the speed of this that's coming plus you know power is cheap so we've had the blockchain algorithm for 50 years, we just haven't been able to have the speed of, of computing power or the actual cheap power to implement it. So you're, you're, you're going to have these emerging texts that are coming in, these disruptive texts. And if you're not paying attention to that, you're, you're going to be left. And it doesn't mean that you have to be you know, a, a tech expert. You just have to pay attention to it and implement it when it makes sense. Because the early adopter usually gets the arrow in the back. It's that middle person that really succeeds. And so I think that's what you're going to see is we're right there now. And coming out of this, I think tech is going to lead us. Yeah, it's, it seems to be where it's headed. So that, that, that makes sense. And, you know, it's uh, keeping up with it and making sense of it's always always a challenge. But yeah, of course. Yeah. But again, emerging, emerging humanity with tech. So mm-hmm. like if I'm bringing in an accounts payable solution, you know, get in back, I want to pay attention to those accounts payable staff that I may either, you know, have to pair out or redeploy. But let's redeploy them in a in not a human way, but also intellectually smart. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that, you know, beyond beyond the tech, uh there there's also just the, the whole world of people now. You know, when uh, I think People were were stuck in this idea of everyone needs to be in our office, but now that you've opened up all of humanity to, to yeah. helping out your company or whomever, uh, there's there's a lot a lot more to work with there. So, yes, yeah, and and also to please, you know, lastly, um, make sure that you when you hear the voices that you you vet them, <laughs> yeah, vet them because the, there's some disparate voices out there that need to be vetted. <laughs> yeah, and, and inject some time into the decision making process, even if it's not too much time, just a little bit. <laughs> I, I found to be useful anyway. Yeah. Some so. circumspection would be very, very advisable. Yeah, as always, as always. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, how can people oh. get in touch with you, by the way? Dan, they can uh, reach me at my website, uh, razor-marketing.com, uh, or Blood Time the podcast. We're all over Anchor, we're all over Spotify, iHeart, iTunes. Uh, uh, MV Podcasting, my great producer, Maverick Peters, who's this awesome. old son of my dearest friend. So it's a real family affair. And uh, I thank you so much, uh, Dan, for having me on. I appreciate it. You're, you're a heck of a dude. Man. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll get all that linked up. And it's a, it's a great podcast. So I recommend everybody check it out. Appreciate it. Peace, man. Yeah, Talk take care. All right, dude.
Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Again, if you'd like to get your hands on our latest webinar all about how to sell agency services in uncertain times, learning how to prospect, learning how to get meetings at scale uh, in a tasteful way, in a way that actually works based on what we've learned from working with more than 50 agencies and doing more than 7,000 individual campaigns. You can do that by going to saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting. Again, that's saleschema.com slash crisis prospecting, one word. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.